Coming up, a special celebratory episode of the talk show. I had a special guest on to celebrate episode 50 of the talk show. We talked NBA season preview, but first, I talked NFL week six, which was capped off by the crazy Monday night game between the Bills and the Titans. So much stuff going on. Do not let the timestamp scare you off. I will tell you the connection was not great with my guest. Um, We did it over Zoom, but still worth it. Awesome episode. All that and more coming up right after this. Welcome to episode 50 of the talk show, 5-0. It's a big deal. And we have a special guest coming up later to talk all about it and to preview the NBA season. We talked a whole bunch of stuff. If you're looking at the timestamp on this episode and you're like, wow, this is a really long episode. It is. I hope it's worth it. I think it's great. Um, But I got to talk football because that NFL game that we just saw, what did we watch? And it's funny what happens when you crown a team Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl champions five weeks into the season. But really, who expected the Bills to lose that game? And the Titans defense comes up with a huge stop. I was watching the game on mute, and so I didn't hear anyone talking about this on TV. But why not just kick the field goal there? I never understand. Just take the points. And I, I don't think that's a loser mentality. Take the points. They're sitting there waiting for you. But the Bills get greedy. They decide to go for the touchdown. And not once, but twice. Josh Allen gets stopped just about a couple inches short of the first down. Ball game over. Titans win. And Derrick Henry runs not all, not only all over the Bills, all over my fantasy team. And I quit. I quit fantasy football. I was up by 38 points. And Derrick Henry just did that. Um, they also had Dawson Knox who decided to throw a two-point conversion. I don't know if you get you know, throwing a two-point conversion. I have no idea. But the point is, that was a crazy football game. And the Monday Nighters have been fantastic. And going back a week in time, the winner of last week's Monday Nighter, the Baltimore Ravens and the way they won that game, now they might be the favorites in the AFC. But this is a reactionary job. This is what everyone does. You come on the air, you turn on the microphone, whatever you're doing. I'm sitting at home, turning on my microphone in front of my laptop. But the job is to be reactionary. The job is to react to everything as it happens in the moment. And so that's what I'm doing. And if I would have sat here a week ago, I would have been talking about the Chiefs. And it's so funny because I didn't say this a week ago, but people did. Stephen A. Smith is one of them. Talking about Chiefs are done. That's it. It's over. Patrick Mahomes, no good. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're out on the guy. What changed? Like, <laughs> the best one was Colin Coward. I'll, I'll play you two clips. This clip is from this past week on Colin's show, The Herd. Uh, here it is. You know, when I watch the media swoon over Mahomes, yes, he's awesome. And nobody disputes that. He's great. But when I saw them start lining up, Super Bowls. I'm like, oh, you must be in your 30s. It doesn't work that way, right? That was last week before they beat the Washington football team this week. Now, here's a clip from Colin Cowherd from about a year and a half ago. Also talking about the Chiefs. We have a chance to see a next dynasty here. And I think Reed and Mahomes feels like 12 years, five Super Bowls. 
Sounds like he's lining up Super Bowls. Wait, Colin, what'd you say about lining up Super Bowls for the Chiefs? Let me hear that again. Yes, he's awesome. Yeah, nobody disputes that. He's great. But when I saw them start lining up Super Bowls, I'm like, oh, you must be in your 30s. It doesn't work that way, right? We have a chance. Yeah, that's Colin Coward for you. That's classic Colin. I love that. I love every second of that. Where Colin was wrong. And uh, the Colin right, Colin wrong. They never actually do the segments where he was actually wrong. But that one's so awesome. So, like I said, Colin's the best at in the business at reacting in the moment and totally forgetting what he said two minutes later. Um, he sometimes in the same sentence can react to two different to the same thing and say two completely different things and totally contradict himself. He just happens to be the best in the business at doing what we do. I don't like being that way and kind of the benefit of not being so consistent with my schedule because I've been super busy um, has been that I don't overreact to things, but I'm looking at my notes from after last week's game and it says no one's won a Super Bowl after week five, especially in a 17 game season. Easy for me to say now, but that's what I was going to say last week about the Bills. That being said, the Bills are definitely for real. But like I said, the favorites in the AFC, as of today, week six, it's got to be the Baltimore Ravens. And it pains me to say that. Yes, that's good for business for me. The Ravens being a talking point is awesome. I mean, I got people calling me up. Everyone wants tickets. Everyone wants to, to listen to the show. We got... Clients running to to partner with the Ravens and the Ravens radio network. It's been a fun time here in Baltimore at Odyssey. But I have so many bandwagon, good time fan, Raven fans in my life who I didn't hear a peep from in the bleak Flacco years at the end there. All of a sudden, they're back all in. It's actually funny. I was at the Ravens game this week, and this is a classic Ravens thing. This only happens at Ravens games. Um, it could be like the fourth quarter and a, a tie game and they still leave. I'm pretty sure there's a separate game going on amongst Baltimore fans who can get to the parking lot faster. Like they all leave early. I've never seen anything like it. The place was empty. You know, like when the Knicks blow out a team at home and the entire garden crowd like is standing and cheering as the, the final buzzer goes off. Same for any other New York sport team. Baltimore, there was like three people left. I was like standing and clapping alone. I was like, where the hell is everyone? You guys just won a huge game. But it's crazy what Lamar has been able to do this year. Lamar obviously coming off of last week's Monday night game, an MVP performance, the best game I've ever seen of Lamar, specifically passing the ball. He's beaten Herbert now. He already beat Mahomes. He has a chance. He plays against Rodgers and the Rams this year. He has a chance to beat those two teams. And if you think about where this team was at the beginning of the season, with all the injuries and everyone writing them off, the Browns were going to win the division. The Steelers might have even been better than Baltimore. Considering all that, and considering what the word valuable means, in my opinion, the most valuable player on, in the National Football League today is Lamar Jackson. And what he's been able to do passing the ball and what he's been able to do running the ball, we know, has been incredible. And he's carried this team. He's willed this team with an attitude and with a leadership and with his play on the field that we haven't seen from anyone else in the league this year. And it's been remarkable to watch. 
And yes, you could ask some questions. How were they down? How did they not crush the Lions? And maybe the answer is Hollywood Brown dropping three passes. And how, at times, does he look so bad like the pick he threw to right at the linebacker against the Chargers on Sunday? Or the first half in the game against Indianapolis last week? But when it comes down to it, when they've needed him most, he's made the plays that he's needed to make to win. And he's been the most valuable guy. The only other guy that you could say might be more valuable is on his own team. And that might be Justin Tucker. (laughs) That guy doesn't miss. That guy's absolutely unbelievable. So right now, the league, this is what's awesome about the NFL. Any given Sunday or Monday, I guess, Derrick Henry runs all over the Buffalo Bills. I would have been talking about how they're the team to beat. Josh Allen looks better than ever. Their defense looks absolutely insane. But no, any given Sunday. Gotta love it. Gotta love the National Football League. As a Jets fan, I had a great week. Um, And you've heard mostly positive vibes from me throughout the football season. And I'm going to talk a lot of Knicks later. um, And it's going to be positive. Listen, as a fan, you got to find a way to keep it positive. Otherwise, what are you doing? Like, I'm more positive about the Knicks and the Jets right now than I am about the Yankees. And we'll get to the Yankees later. I always have some talking points about the Yankees. But here's why I'm positive about the Jets, because you can't tell me anything negative. Their draft picks have looked good. Their O-line and D-line has looked good. The team plays hard for Salah. He looks like he knows what he's doing. The quarterback obviously has talent, even though he hasn't put it together yet. Maybe you want me to be sitting here screaming and shouting that they should have beat Atlanta in London. Okay, maybe they should have. But you're playing with house money now. Now all we need to see is improvement week to week and growth from this kid at quarterback who we've handed the keys to the franchise. And you know what? And if in two years we're drafting another quarterback, I'll bitch and complain and scream and all that then. But until then, I'm going to be pretty happy. I'm going to be pretty pleasable. And what a week it was for Jets fans. I mean, the New England Patriots have turned into the Jets. They lose a close game to Tampa. They lose a close game to Dallas. And all we hear is the moral victories. Look, the rookie quarterback looked good. The defense looked good. They held them, blah, blah, blah. That used to be us. That was the Jets coming up with the moral victories. And now it's the Pats. And if the Pats had just absolutely stunk and totally fell apart and were terrible this year, it wouldn't be as fun. Because Pats fans would have been like, hey, see ya, we got our championships. We're out of here. But no, the Pats are pulling them in just to disappoint them. That's what I'm used to. Pull me in just a little bit so you can shove me in the face afterwards. That's what Jets fans are used to. Now it's happening to the Pats. Love that. And all part of the dream day. The Giants are a mess. The Giants are in a worse position than the Jets. And that's not, you can't argue that. The quarterback, he doesn't seem right. The head coach, he doesn't seem right. The GM, nope, not him either. The team's a mess on and off the field. They're ruining the career of Saquon Barkley. I said this when they drafted him. That's why you don't draft the running back before you have the quarterback figured out. Now they're going to play out his career. They're going to be drafting the quarterback, resetting again. So who knows what happens with the Giants? Darnold sucks again. 
against Kirk Cousins, my favorite bad game quarterback ever. The numbers he puts up are so good. And what's so crazy is that if you watch him, you're like, how are those numbers actually his? But Darnold sucks again. And that draft pick just going up, that pick that they got from Carolina. And to cap it off on Sunday night, Jamal Adams absolutely humiliates himself going, I'm the best in the nation when it says ranked 65 out of 82. And then has an interception bounce right off his face on national TV. And then Geno Smith fumbles the ball to lose the game, giving the Jets a better draft pick from Seattle. And I didn't think Geno looked that bad, but now there are rumors of maybe they're going to sign Cam Newton. And, oh, Lord, is Seattle a mess. And who knows how far they'll fall. And if they're trying to sign Cam, that tells you they don't think Russ is coming back anytime soon. And I told you this might be the last season of Russ in Seattle. And so who knows when we're going to see him next. I mean, if they fall far enough, they may just not play him the rest of the year. So better draft pick from Seattle. The guys we traded humiliate themselves. New England's got moral victories. The Bills lose. The Dolphins get humiliated by the Jaguars, who are also a mess. Who have now, I guess they move up. And now the Raiders are the biggest crap show in the NFL this this week. I don't know. So many storylines have been happening with the NFL. It's actually been crazy. So I don't even want to talk about those. Another thing that happened on Sunday night is it became clear and obvious that Ben Roethlisberger is holding the Pittsburgh Steelers back. Now, Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Fame quarterback, incredible Super Bowl champion quarterback, had an outstanding career with the Steelers, did so much for the city of Pittsburgh in the sports world. But he's done. He's holding the team back. This is a situation where, like we saw with the Saints last year, even with uh, Peyton Manning in his last year in Denver, it's time to hang it up. And the problem with Peyton Manning was that AFC was weak enough that the team carried him to a Super Bowl. I don't think this Steeler team can carry Ben Roethlisberger and the weight of Ben Roethlisberger to a Super Bowl. This team is so talented. They deserve a good quarterback. Maybe they should sign Cam Newton. And you don't wish an injury on anyone. But for the Steelers' sake, maybe it's time for Ben to nick something up. Nothing too serious. Just to knock him out a little bit. Maybe they bring in Cam. He can mentor a young Dwayne Haskins. And that team is so talented. You don't want to see them lose because they're holding on to a guy who's way past his prime. Now, I always talk about quarterbacks, and this is another point that I talk about. And if I'm running these through these points a little quickly, it's because, like you saw, the timestamp on the episode, it's really long. And the next segment is going to be awesome, but really, really long. Um, the next team, I always say that teams win with either quarterbacks on a rookie contract or your Tom Brady. Those are the two options of winning a Super Bowl. Because quarterbacks get paid too much money after their first contract and you can't pay anyone else. And oftentimes we've seen quarterbacks who are just not there. They're not, they don't have the it. They're not quite as good as everyone makes them out to be. Get the huge money because drafting a quarterback and having to draft a quarterback every two years, trust me as a Jets fan, it's hard to see. And it's tough to do. It's tough to find the right guy, even if the guy's not the it guy. You kind of just want to keep him around. And that guy is 
Baker Mayfield and the Browns right now. They know better than anyone how hard it is to find the right guy at quarterback. They've had so many failed draft picks at quarterback, and they have a guy who's good enough, but he's not it. And if you give Baker Mayfield $35 million and you can't pay some of these other really talented players on this team, you're not winning with Baker Mayfield. He's not going to be the guy who carries you. He can win with you. I should, I correct myself. He should, you could win with Baker Mayfield. Yes. But he's not going to be the guy who carries you to a Super Bowl. He can do what Joe Flacco did and have a four week stretch where he just goes out of his mind. He has, you know, a, a competitive fire to him. I like that. He he has the ability to make some throws, but he's not going to put a team on his back and win you a Super Bowl just on his strength. And I don't think they have a choice. I think they have to give him the money, but I'm really curious to see. I think they should hold out. I think they should wait till after next year, give him the franchise tag a couple times, do whatever they can to not have to pay him that huge contract right away and see if they can't win a Super Bowl before that comes. And if they do, then who cares at that point? Whatever you do, you're, you you want a Super Bowl as the Cleveland Browns. So we can stop dreaming. Aaron Rodgers still owns Chicago, so that's what's going on in the NFC North. In other places, and I don't mind him saying it, I own you. Cool. Another guy who said something also in the NFC North that I don't mind him saying is Dan Campbell. He says it like it is. Jared Goff, I need you to play better. You're holding us back. Why is that so hard for people to understand? I need you to play better. You're holding us back. The end. You know, something that drove me crazy about Aaron Boone since he showed up in New York as the Yankee manager is that he never, ever said it the way it was. He's always sugarcoating it, always coddling the players. Just stop it. Why, why do we need to do that? Everyone has eyes. Everyone could see that Jared Goff has not played well enough for them to win games. Jared Goff knows it. Why can't the head coach say it in the media? He's not a rookie quarterback. He's not a guy that you're trying to protect. He's not a superstar that you need to protect his ego. He's just a guy who needs to play a little bit better for his team to have a chance to win some football games. (laughs) I have no problem with Dan Campbell saying that. And people who overreact to that are crazy. Speaking of overreacting, um, I don't know if you've heard, John Gruden is no longer in the league, and I don't think that's an overreaction. I think he's obviously not the greatest person. Um, (laughs) Those things he said were horrendous. They're terrible. They're offensive. And I have to think about if, you know, maybe me personally, I wouldn't be offended if they were said about me or about, you know, my religion or my race. But most people are, and most people should be. And maybe I'm just an idiot, but what he said was terrible and should never be said. And the fact that he's out of the league, that's fine. Like, I'm totally cool with that. What I'm not fine with is ESPN and their executives playing the, oh, we're all so good. And, you know, we do, we need to rid ourselves of this. This is terrible. And they're outing him on, on national TV. And ESPN talking about how terrible John Gruden is. When ESPN is the network that allowed this to happen under their nose and continue to employ him and continue to give him his national stage. ESPN acting like they had no part of this now that it came out, but they were there the entire time. They saw this the entire time. 
Where were you then? ESPN, somebody needs to call them out. Because this is their responsibility. And this is not the first time we saw this. We saw this with the Rachel Nichols situation. With her losing her position. Because another woman that they wanted to get in there, Malika Andrews, should have had that that seat. And then in the end, what ESPN goes and does... Instead of getting it to the right person or the wrong person, it didn't matter. Either one of them having someone who is what you might want to call a minority hosting the NBA Finals is a huge deal no matter who they are. And fighting about which minority is more of a minority, you know where that landed ESPN? With them just giving the the NBA Final host job to Mike Greenberg. Another privileged white dude who's been at it for a million years and doesn't need this platform and doesn't need the recognition although he's great although he's awesome he's deserved it sure his career is, speaks for itself but espn trying to play the hero in all these things you're not the hero you're part of the problem and it's the executives and the people who allow this to go on under their noses and i this is not political this is just the people who get pushed in the public light are always the ones who are the it's the easiest to cancel them because they're in the public and they're the ones who we see every day and they're the ones who have to stand in front of the media or behind the camera or whatever it is but the people who are writing their checks and the people who are allowing this to happen until it comes into the light those are the ones who are allowing this behavior to go on and it's terrible i read a super interesting article switching gears here for a second (laughs) I didn't expect to get as I I like to do this on the podcast. I really like to just carry, you know, see where my emotion goes. It's a it's a passion project for me. Everyone knows that. And that's where it went in that moment. And so that's real. That's that's honest. That's raw. Um, I like that. I read a super interesting article about Hal Steinbrenner. Um, it actually wasn't an article. I was reading uh Brian Hoke's book about the Yankees. 2009 World Series championship um, and Mission 27, by the way, go buy it. Great book. And he talks about Hal Steinbrenner in, you know, the late 2000s before the 2010s um, when him and Hank were taking over the team from their father and how Hal was a business mind and he's going to run the team the way he ran his hotels. It's all about business. It's all about money where Hank was impulsive like his father, trying to make the big splashes, make the big deals. Hal ran it with analytics, with numbers. And you know what? I don't think this Yankee franchise will ever be the same again until they prove me wrong. Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner, there's no one to tell them off. Boone is their puppet who's never going to do anything they don't tell him to do. They have the same analytic guys. And they treat the fans like we're a bunch of idiots. Like, we fired the, the the hitting coach and the third base coach. And we got Andrew Heaney to help us with our pitching. Like, all of those are the same move. It's all, you guys are a bunch of idiots. We know best. And we're doing things to satisfy you so you stop crying. When in reality, all Yankee fans were smarter than that. Hal, Cashman, wake up. The Yankee fans are smarter than that. They know that this is not working. The philosophy needs to change, and I don't see it changing. And that's why I said I had hoped that they wouldn't make 
the wild card because now they could sit back. Look at how we battled back in the second half. Look how Boone got them to rally back. Boone's not the answer. And I'm not saying he's the problem, but look at Alex Cora. Look at the way he manages the Red Sox, his relationship with his players, and the difference he made. The team last year missed the playoffs. They were not expected to win 80 games this year, and they're going to be going to the World Series. If that can't make you wake up, then what can? Max Scherzer, before the game that they lost to the Giants, Max Scherzer and the Dodgers had not lost a game that Max Scherzer had started since the trade. Oh, but we got Andrew Haney and not Max Scherzer. The Yankee ownership needs to wake up. You're not the big bad Yankees who you think you are. You're just a loser franchise living in your past. And I've never been more down on the Yankees in my lifetime. They've always been the one constant. But over the last few years, since the 2017 2017 team, it's been downhill, and no one cares to stop it. We need a guy like Derek Jeter in the room. Derek Jeter's speech that he gave the last game at Yankee Stadium, I think every Yankee player should be obligated to watch that speech before they play every single Yankee game. Learn about the history and what's on the line and have some pride and respect. It's a public trust. The Yankees are a franchise like no other. They're the most illustrious, famous, successful franchise ever. And they just want to now sit back on that and say, yeah, we're good. We're never going to be good again. That's fine. We're good enough. We make the playoffs. We sell seats. We sell tickets. Um, I work in the media. And just so you know, the Yankees had one wild card game. And the Yankees playoffs, the sponsorships for Yankee playoffs, on the WFAN in New York have exceeded by far the sponsorships for Boston Red Sox playoffs who are now in the third round and going to go to the World Series or at least far into the American League Championship Series on WEEI in Boston. The Yankees don't care. It's all about the money. And that's what they're proving to us. It's, it's, it's that simple. All right, coming up, special guest, we talk NBA. We talk some other stuff. It's awesome. I'm not going to make you wait any longer. I'm going to give it to you right now. Here it is. All right. Joining me on the pod, only appropriate for the 50th episode. This guy is probably the talk show's number one fan and number one guest. My father, Dr. Lavi. How are you? Oh, amazing. Let me be the first to uh, wish you mazel tov and congratulate you on uh, your 50th. Quite an accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. My um, my one-year anniversary since I started the podcast is coming up in about a month. And I guess I've been doing about an episode a week, if you think about it that way, uh, for the last year. So that's I'd say that's pretty good. I've done some bonus episodes in there, but not to toot my own horn too much, but like uh, this has been, I, I didn't know where this podcast would take me, but um, I'm just enjoying the ride. All right. You still don't know where it's taking you, but 50 episodes, you've had some nerd to, uh, to be here at this milestone and we're having fun and you're, uh, you're doing some great stuff with Odyssey also. So I wish you all the best with all of it. I appreciate that. Would you say that my, um, you're my number one fan and guest. I think that was actually a good description of who you are to the podcast. 
Well, I'm definitely your number one guest, but I do <laughs> get uh, people who approach. <laughs> I mean, people approach me and uh, and they say, "Hey, I, I listen to that podcast," and I never know. I, I always wait to see which way it's going to go before I acknowledge that I'm aware of it. But uh, there have been times when the enthusiasm of your fan base has has shocked me. So it's possible that there's a bigger fan out there because there's some really, really uh, hardcore fans that uh, that think that that they chew my ear off about how poised and informative you are. So yeah, you're you're and so uh, you're I guess you're doing a great job and making a lot of people very happy. So it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, what I would say is. Um... I've had this with you and no one else though, is where I'll send you the episode. You're like, dude, I'm subscribed. I've already heard it. <laughs> well, like I said, there could be guys who are, for all I know, there are guys sitting at their phones waiting for it to, uh, to, uh, to upload. Oh, so, that's for sure. but yeah, when, as soon as it uploads and I see it, I, I like to, I, I do like to take a listen and, and you brought up some good stuff. You've related to life. So good going. Good job with you. Good job by you. All right. Well, wait. That was we'll an early good job by you. Yeah, we got to save that for the end. And obviously, the timing works out well because yeah, the reason you're here. Good job by you. Yep. <laughs> well, the reason you're here, the timing works out well, is because tomorrow night is uh, today's Monday. So tomorrow night is the start of the NBA season. Tuesday night starts seven thirty. The Bucks and Nets, and then ten p.m. Lakers Warriors. It's exciting. We know you are the resident NBA fan. We talked last, I guess, after. The Bucks won the championship, and obviously we've had our Knicks conversations in the past. So this is it. This is NBA season again. Are you ready for this? Oh, my goodness. I am very ready. I was going to say, very appropriate 50th on the eve of the NBA. Uh, it entered that it's the only league that I uh, still really, really uh, follow with great interest. And my interest is even narrowed down to one team. I'm sure we'll get to that. I've never been this invested in a team where I would never do fantasy basketball anyways, but I couldn't do it this year. I was never, put it this way, I was never that invested in fantasy baseball where I couldn't do fantasy baseball. I would root against the Yankees any day if my pitcher was pitching against them. I could never, ever play any player other than the Knicks. I would be that guy who has a fantasy team and all the players are from one team. That's how like, fully invested I am. First overall pick, you're going Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, first overall pick is is Tony B. Oh, of course. Alec Burks is your first overall pick. Yeah. 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 Well, Alec so Burks first overall pick, and then Mitchell Robinson to see him on the floor. Was that emotional? <laughs> was it emotional for me? I know it was for you. It was emotional for me, and I was like, there was one confusing part. The announcers are like, he's really winded running off the court. I was like, wasn't he working out? Even like, I, I understand this, but like, can't you do a bicycle or something? They're like, yeah, he's going <laughs> to He's, he's going to need some strength and conditioning exercise. training. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. still, like, I couldn't love him more. I was like, we'll have him in for 14 minutes until he gets his win back, and it'll be the most impactful player on the floor for 14 minutes. He just... <laughs> hops around he's got his headband and so much swag we i can't i'm i i know i'm getting ahead of ourselves but there's no team that can beat us go ahead yeah so uh, with with mitchell robinson yeah i don't know if his um you know his 
strength and conditioning or his mental state is the strongest aspect of his game yet. But um, hopefully he's maturing before they give him a huge contract. Now uh, they'd still have some time because he was a second round draft pick amazingly because the NBA draft is such a crapshoot. But yes, the Knicks do open up not on Tuesday night, but they open up on Wednesday night at home against the Boston Celtics. Um, the garden. I mean, when Julius Randall hit the game winner in, in, uh, at the end of the game in preseason, the garden erupted. <laughs> Could you imagine what the garden's going to be like on, on Wednesday night? It's going to be shaking. Listen, you, I know you're going to bring this up and I apologize, but I'm going to jump to it. Is Derek Rose's best man at his upcoming wedding. And <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. Because so for that those means who don't know, guy... yeah, for those okay, who don't know, Tibbs is the best is going to be the best man. Um, Derek Rose got engaged, proposed to his girlfriend with a huge rock, by the way, on the garden floor. Um, and his best man, he announced, is going to be Coach Tom Thibodeau. And that tells you everything. And you don't even need to say yeah, anything. Yeah, it tells you everything you need to know. You know, there was a time where I wondered. Because Derrick Rose is a little bit of an enigma, right? I mean, we don't really – I don't know if there's people who really know his personality. It's not as accessible as some of the other personalities in the NBA. Um, but he is, like, sometimes reserved. I thought maybe he's a prima donna. I, I think I remember going to Knicks games with you where the Bulls were playing, but the Bulls and everybody – all the Bulls came out, but Derrick Rose didn't come out. And it was unclear – you know, where he, where he was. Meanwhile, Tibbs burns out all his players. He knows he's known for, you know, working them so hard. And the oh, coach that is renowned for working his players to the bone has developed such a special relationship with this player. Tells you everything you need to know about the player and his commitment. And the fact that he's sitting there in the heart of our lineup and our team, and he considers this, Right, slave driving coach. No, you know, <clears throat> this really, really tough coach, his best man is just everything that the Knicks are about this year. Yeah, and I went to a game um on when Derek Rose had his first stint with the Knicks. And this tells you everything also because you maybe, maybe it's New York, maybe it's the organization. No, it's none of that because when I went to a game, uh Rose's first stint with the Knicks, um he uh he missed some time, he wasn't playing you know, hard on defense. Um, he wasn't fighting through screens. He he disappeared. Remember when they lost him? When the Knicks lost Derrick Rose, no one knew where he was. <laughs> um, and like I don't even know if you remember that. But the point right. is that he's come back and he plays defense harder than anyone on the floor. And he's he plays his heart out for again. He's not you know the most minutes, obviously. But what he did last year, he completely changed the team. And then he he was like carrying them in that Atlanta series to the extent that they were carried. Um, Anyway, but we'll get into the Knicks um, because there's a lot to talk about. But let's start with another guy you love um, because we've talked about this guy. I think the first ever podcast we did, we talked about this guy. We've talked about this guy a lot, and everyone's talking about him now, and that's Kyrie Irving. Ted Lasso? (laughs) Well, we'll get to Ted Lasso a little bit later, um, the TV show that you and I both love. Ted Lasso likes his water. Ted Lasso likes his water the way Kyrie Irving likes his earth. Flat. flat yeah exactly that's funny <laughs> that's a line um, from the show yes exactly um but Kyrie Irving the situation with him uh he's he wasn't going to get vaccinated 
Um, and that wouldn't be a problem anywhere else. It's not a political thing. It wouldn't be a problem but for the fact that he plays in New York. And in New York, there's a mandate that if he's playing inside, um, he has to be vaccinated. So he was going to miss half of his home game or half of his games total, all the home games. And he was going to not get paid for half the season, but he would still be allowed to play on the road when the Nets traveled other than to Madison Square Garden, obviously. But the Nets decided to make a decision that was the franchise's decision not to allow him to play at all. But Kyrie continues to hold out. Um, and what I think is just shows you Kyrie's just a dude. Like he's not trying to be a basketball player. He's not trying to be, you know, someone who has attention. Can you imagine if it was just like one of your employees who was like getting this amount of attention from the media and stuff like that? He's just kind of like a regular dude and he has his opinions and he has his flaws, but he doesn't see himself as anything more than that. And so when he says his opinions out loud and people freak out and overreact to it, you kind of got to be like, Hey, this guy's a human being. Right. And that's been your opinion all along. Right. Uh, it, it was, but there comes a point in time, son, where an accumulation of weird points of view and events get you to start thinking, is this now a body of work where the guy's being weird on purpose to get attention? You know what I mean? Like, I love giving a guy benefit of doubt and all that. But, like, I mean, it's like, it seems like in the last four years, there's never been a moment where there hasn't been some sort of weird, unforeseen drama surrounding Kyrie. And at a certain point, it's like, is this is this ever going to end? Does, do, can you imagine Kyrie having, like, a two-year stretch where he's just playing the full season and having no drama at this point? It no, no, it's not going it, to, yeah, it's not going to happen at this point, but at the same time, he is, it, here's what makes me think that he's real. Andrew Wiggins had the same situation. He was unvaccinated and he was playing for the Warriors and the other team outside the Knicks and the Nets, the other team that you'd have to miss all your home games would be the Warriors because they play in San Francisco and Andrew Wiggins never got vaccinated. But the second like, Hey, we're going to cut your paycheck in half. He's like, Oh, don't touch my paycheck. I'm going to go get vaccinated. You know what I mean? So like, Kyrie is has always well, been true Kyrie to himself. Certainly, uh, well, yeah, that's. I mean, true to himself is a very nice way of saying total disregard for his employers. Um, oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. But do you think he has more of a disregard? Listen, we're in a, a completely unprecedented time where things are weird, and this is a weird thing that's come up. But do you think he has more disregard for his employer than a guy like James Harden who just got fat on the team, or a guy like Ben Simmons who's you know, finally he showed up because he wasn't going to get paid, but he shows up with wearing like sweatpants with with his phone in his pocket at practice. I don't know if you saw that video from today, but like what's more disrespect just because it's something that's that's a global issue right now. Um, and, and it's something that it's that's exploded and has taken over the media, you know, everywhere. Is that more disrespectful to the employer than than exactly what James Harden or Anthony Davis or, or Ben Simmons is doing? Well, it's a good question, but there's a difference between I can relate better to getting fat or not trying so hard or letting yourself go or being like somewhat um, non-committed. I get that. But Kyrie always seems to come up with like the weirdest cause, like the weirdest flag to wave. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, no, I get I get what you're saying 100%. Um, 
Like you told me, I think you texted me that Bill Simmons thinks Kyrie is going to the Spurs. And he'll go to the Spurs, and then all of a sudden he'll sit for two weeks because Spurs are the things that you have on a cowboy's boots to make a horse go faster, and it's uh, cruelty to animals. So he's going to protest that. Like it's always something love that. that you, never you just saw come up with that? <laughs> yeah, as I was driving, I'm driving, by the way, uh, down the turnpike to you, baby. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I don't. Your connection has been better in the past, but you know what? I think the content's worth it. Um, what I would say is that yeah, you're. Listen, I thought this conversation was going to go the complete opposite way on Kyrie, and that's why we're having this conversation because you know every other time we've had this conversation, you've been the Kyrie defender, um, and yes. I, I, you know, I he speaks and he seems so well. Every time he talks, he seems like thought out and well spoken. But now I'm just kind of like connecting the dots. And and, he, and and I'm starting to get sick of the guy. Does yeah, but also uh, there's an yeah there's another point to it. when we met him he just seemed like such just a good genuine dude, and that's really just what he seemed like. And that's where you know being a superstar multimillionaire when you're 20 years old sometimes can mess with the dude. <laughs> it it just does. You know what I mean? It could be. You know, we're, we're here speculating. We don't know the guy personally, and he always. I mean. He not only does he seem like his body language always seems like when you watch, you know, YouTube videos of him with, you know, Team America doing drills. Everybody seems to love the guy, and 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 I think the players seem to respect him. I mean, he he was KD's guy. I mean, he great, was the guy who talent. KD decided I'm going to Brooklyn to be with this right. guy. He's a he's a he's a fantastic, you know, incredible incredible player. Um, but, but, you know, this is, this is disregard on even a higher level than Harden because it like Harden just doesn't seem to have the, just <laughs> put it this way as creative as Kaiden, that how, that's how creative it is. He is at creating distractions, uh, around this team. How do you like that? Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, one guy who's definitely not creative around the rim. And we saw that in the playoffs last year was Ben Simmons. And what I was going to say, the contrast to him, he's just a loser. Like, he, he asked to be traded when he had zero leverage. The, te- the team wanted him out. Um, he, you know, and then now that, that nobody wants him, Daryl Morey's, yeah. what? Daryl Morey's dying to give him away, and nobody wants him because nobody wants to take the Sixers' problem off their hands. He shows up to practice in his sweatpants with his, po- with, with, with his phone in his pocket, what is it to be to be a guy who's so overrated and overhyped and is obviously an incredible passer and has the incredible feel for the game, but to be this long into his career and now work on shooting the basketball? You have to shoot the basketball in basketball. That's like the idea of the game. And for him not to work on free throws and shooting the basketball the way he obviously hasn't, is what, what is that? Um, I think that you're missing a little piece, the uh, context. Uh, first of all, he's not a loser. He's Australian, which means he sees things differently. Now, I love upside Australians. down? And I hope the one... Yeah, he just thinks sees things upside down. Well done. And, 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 and I hope to one day go to Australia. But I did, as a guy who has streamed um, illegal services to watch Nick games in the past, because somehow League Pass never gives me what I need, um, when I need it, it seems I, um, 
I noticed that a lot of those live streaming uh, and the Australian commercials, they seem to think he could shoot. They're like, you can do this. It's a sure thing. Like Ben Simmons hitting a three-pointer. It's like, okay, Australia, you're the reason why he's not practicing shooting. Meanwhile, Knock he's never off. hit a three-pointer ever. <laughs> so you think it's Australia's fault? Exactly. Now, now the yes, question I'm blaming I put- Australia. The continent okay. of Australia. The entire continent is the reason for Ben Simmons' shortcomings. Um, so yes. why can't they be traded for each other? And, and let me talk this out for a minute. They're both each other's problems. Just trade problems with each other. Like, here, you have this problem. I'll take this problem. Kyrie can now play all games other than when they travel to New York or San Francisco. Ben Simmons, you put him. He doesn't need a score because you already have Harden and Durant. All he has to do is facilitate for them and play defense. Um, like, it's actually the perfect answer and I'll, I'll tell you before i before i hear what you have to say i'll tell you why it's not a good answer because why should they help each other out as as much as they'd be helping themselves they're like i don't want to help that team we, we like we're top competitors in the eastern conference last year i'm not going to help you solve your problem and the nets will say i'm not going to help you solve your problem right so that's the answer why not but if you think about it why not um i think because daryl Morey is too smart to to take on uh, something so volatile as Kyrie Irving. I think that's the actual answer. I don't think they, they think they're helping each other out. They're, they think that they're getting rid of the player being addition by subtraction. And, um, and I just, I think that Kyrie is not a good fit. You cut out there. You cut out you know there. I mean, he's more of a good fit for a team that's going to look I don't think he's a good fit for a team that's trying to build a culture. I think he's a good fit for a team that's like losing and needs a marquee name. Kyrie Irving, um, or I should say the Sixers are definitely not building a culture. Uh, Joel Embiid has never been the guy who's a culture builder. He's, you know, what they need is a guy who can play with Embiid and spread the floor and can create and, you know, be another creator on the floor and can shoot. And that's what Kyrie is. Like Kyrie, his ability Listen, on the floor I, is undeniable. Yeah. Love it. You love what? I, I don't know. I think the GM is too smart. I love Kyrie's game. I love watching him. And I guess maybe that's what makes me more frustrated when he doesn't get on the floor. But I'm, but I'm not sure that, that, that a smart GM looking to build a team would touch him at this point. But maybe. I mean, if Bill Simmons thinks he can go to the Spurs – you know, I guess that means that they're they're smart adults who believe that it's been what you proposed, which is just a comedy of errors, like a sincere guy with a series of episodes that don't necessarily correlate. That could be, you know, I don't know the dude. It seems like the type of situation, and again, I'm just playing, you know, I just want this trade to happen, but you, you, you get like Daryl Morey, a guy who's really smart and can really like, you know, talk things out to a guy like Kyrie um, and a coach like Doc Rivers, who obviously is well-respected around the league. And obviously I'm assuming is respected by Kyrie. You get that type of situation and maybe you start convincing yourself, you know, Ben Simmons is doing nothing. The teammates hate him. Like wait till one game in Philadelphia when the fans, those fans are ruthless and Ben Simmons names get name gets called in the starting lineup and the fans start his own home fans start throwing things on the court at him. Like Daryl Morey is going to have to do something. They can't put him out there. Like that's the bigger issue. 
I was once at a Flyers game where um, they knocked out one of the Ranger players, like unconscious. I mean, he looked like he could have been worse than unconscious. Was it Potvin? They carried him out on the stretcher. Dennis Potvin played for uh, the Islanders. Uh oh. The point is that the point is that um, the eighties hockey for on Long Island growing up was unbelievable. But all I remember is they're pulling out the lifeless body of this player who's motionless on a stretcher, and the Philly fans are calling him. Um, I, I don't want you to have like a big E next to this podcast, so I'm not gonna say the word that they called him. But basically they're throwing uh, curses, hurling uh, derogatory words at a guy who might be dead on a stretcher as he's being carried out. And I was like, these, these fans are hardcore. Yeah. Philly fans are nuts. Um, and that's why uh, I don't think that the, the Sixers can put Benson. Maybe that's the sol- solution for the problem. Uh, maybe that's what Daryl Morey's like. Hey, Daryl's like, I'm just going to put Ben out there and he's probably going to die. So that solves the issue. No more Ben. I don't know. I mean, listen, to, Too dark. to one guy, the world's upside down. The other guy, the world is flat. Tomato, tomato. I don't think you win with either of those guys uh, unless you have a really, really solid team without them. And then maybe they can be that extra little sauce on your, uh, on your hot dog to facilitate a win, but you can't count on either of these guys because of the, their respective deficiencies, you know, despite some of their brilliant uh, talents. So you know, as I, an extra piece, fine. I can't wait for the two of them and Dario Saric to build the big three in China, China's first big three basketball team. I saw the three on threes were in the Olympics, by the way, I don't know. I've had, I known I would have applied. <laughs> yeah you're the king of three on three but um i meant more like big three like there'd be the basketball team anyway um so let's move on to some of the storylines with um with the nba and i'm gonna start with the eastern conference because our knicks are in the east all that just leads me to think you can't trust the nets obviously you can't trust the nets do you trust kd's health do you trust james harden to be committed Obviously, Kyrie's not going to play. He'll never play another game as a net. I think that's a foregone conclusion. Um, so then the question is, is it the Bucks division? To, is it the Bucks conference to lose, right? Did Giannis learn how to yes. shoot? Giannis learned how to shoot free throws. Um, you know, they have great players. If they repeat, it would remind me of the Olajuwon Rockets when they repeated where it was like a large one was great. Other players were excellent and they don't have the look and feel of what we consider to be true champions, but they do have enough pieces put well together enough. It's not an exciting time for the NBA. I don't think for Milwaukee to be, you know, repeating, but you can't take it away from them because what they did, was real, you know, and it seems scarily enough like Giannis will be getting better. So barring injury, you got to give him a good chance, no? Yeah, that's what I think. And Giannis, you can't put it past him to try and keep working and get better. Obviously, he he sold himself to me and to the entire NBA world where 
you know, he went from a guy who's a highlight reel, who's a headline player, who's a, you know, storyline MVP to a guy who put his heart out there for everyone to see on the biggest stage and was the best player on the floor for four straight series is. And even when he was hurt, even when he came back and he literally, you know, he carried a team to a championship the way you haven't seen an NBA player do in a long time with since like the formation of these, you know, stars teaming up and everything, you haven't really seen anything like it. And that's not to take away from, you know, a guy like Middleton or Drew Holiday, who obviously had huge moments, but what Giannis did was so special. I think it's, you know, it's something we haven't seen. Yeah. And, you know, you get the sense that a guy like, you know, you talked about some of the more privileged players and superstars, Giannis, as we discussed at the end of last season, he's that rare breed of superstar that is would not surprise you if he was totally dissatisfied until he got another one. A hundred percent. He's not, he's not sitting is, back. That's yeah. unique. He's not sitting back with his championship and smoking a cigar. He's back in the lab the next day. He wants to work harder. He's not, it's not that he's not satisfied. I know he's happy that he won. It's more just, there's always, there's an ongoing drive with him. There's a drive to be absolutely amazing. And as great as he is, the drive is still in him and it's the next thing and the next thing. Um, And if you look at the rest of the East, I mean, who's going to challenge him? The Heat, I think they're overrated. They overpaid for Kyle Lowry. Um, the Bulls, I think they're overrated. They paid for DeMar, overpaid for DeMar DeRozan. I know you love those two players, but those two teams I think are overrated. The Celtics, you think they can't be as bad as they were last year, but maybe they can. I mean, Brad Stevens now moves to a front office position, which he's never done before. So what's going on there? I think Atlanta will be tremendous. They'll take a huge step forward coming off of last year's playoffs. They seem to have figured it out. Um, obviously, Trey Young has that it factor. But I think, again, Philly takes a step back. If you look at, but let me go through the list. I mean, Indianapolis, like they have Rick Carlisle. So I guess, you know, maybe they're a little better. They were okay. They have talent. They have seemingly mismet, like misfit talent. And maybe Carlisle can put it together. Um, Washington, by the way, who fleeced LA. We'll get to that in a minute. I think that trade was awesome for them. They got deeper. They got rid of the Westbrook contract. Um, Charlotte, people are expecting things out of them. I think they're like a headline storyline team. They're not a, you know, they're, they're, they're a house of highlights team. What I like to call them. They're not an actual winning NBA team. Um, but really like who else is there? Uh, well, you know, who I think is, else is there, uh, maybe irrational. Well, I but, left one uh, team off that list. <laughs> I mean, I never saw a team, a Nick team where no matter who's touching the ball, I'm like, I'm so glad that guy has the ball. He's amazing. <laughs> it doesn't no matter. one can do any wrong. At yeah, any it doesn't point, matter. Any individual on that right. <laughs> Late in shot clock situation, whether it's Obi Toppin, who's going to like try and spin and throw some crazy thing up at the, at the rim, or it's, you know, Evan Fournier, who, by the way, here's how you know he's a good player. I was terrified of Evan Fournier for years. The guy tortured the Knicks for years and years and years, and now he's on our side. 100%. I love having him on our side. I hated him with his weird hair, and he never misses shots. By the way, I the only guy that I don't have full-blown love for on the Knicks is Knox, and I don't think he's missed a shot in preseason. He yeah, he was good in preseason. He plays shots. He's great in the ceiling. He plays zero defense, and he's not going to get a lot of minutes. 
once the season actually starts right. um, because they, they, they're jam logged at, at that position. If you think about it um, and somebody tweeted this last week, like the guys taking after him all got huge contracts. I think it's Shea Gilders, Alexander, um, maybe Jaron Jackson, a bunch of guys taken right after him in the draft. So obviously not a great pick yeah. by Phil Jackson and the Knicks in that spot, but um, yeah, no, there's this team. If you think about it, they have the depth that no other team in the NBA has. Randall, everything's going to be easier for him. I think the improvements are, I, I don't think they're, they're undeniable. The improvements you're talking about Reggie Bullock. Um, instead of Reggie Bullock, you have Evan Fournier, a guy who can create and opens the floor for everyone else. You can't run out at him. Um, and maybe you'll miss the defensive Bullock, I guess, but Alfred Payton would just stand in the corner and nobody would even defend him. Like nobody went near him because he was just so bad. He was so God awful. And having a guy like Kemba Walker, even if his defense is not great, nobody plays defense in the NBA these days. Like having a guy like Kemba on the floor, look what it does for Julius Randle. I think Julius Randle coming off of the best year of his career by far will be even better. He won't have to score it much. He'll he'll be able to pick his spots and do what he wants to do. Like I think his contract was a steal. If you look at some of the other deals that guys got like around this time and, and what they paid him, it's a steal. He took a hometown discount, a hometown discount to come back and be part of the Knicks. And he has his, his other son and Caden. And it's, it's just awesome. I, I think like there's a real family and, and like just a, a, a weird gelling that this team has that you haven't seen. And if there's ever a time in the NBA that that could actually work, it's now. Um, and the only concern is health. That's what it comes down to. Preach, 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 son. That, I can, I mean, I can keep going. I mean, IQ said. taking a big step in year two, Obi Toppin building off of the postseason that he had, and maybe him playing at the four and Julius at the five. RJ Barrett's going to be in his third year, and he's also, you think the floor's not going to open up for him, and he's looked incredible in preseason. I mean, where's the hole on this team? You know, and we didn't even talk about Derrick Rose yet. We Like, we didn't talk about Deuce McBucket or Quentin Grimes. Like, this has oh. been unbelievable. Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson. Right. I mean, Taj Gibson. Talk about, um, you know, Bill Simmons always talks about teams, know, the value in teams knowing who they are. This team, every individual seems to know who they are. The team on a whole knows who they are. Then, yes, they're the team that's got a challenge in the East. And I don't know. Like on their best day, what is the what is the strategy to stop them? They're so good. Yeah, I mean, listen. Obviously, on their best day, I think they're unstoppable. But even on their worst day, like there are so many different guys on this team who I think can step up and be a major part. And again, like we talked about last year, team T E A M, a full team. And I, we just listed twelve guys. They're twelve deep of guys who play hard, who really, really care, who, you know, really give a crap every single night, never take a possession off. And are at, but this year, the difference, they're actually talented. Like, you know, I think Kemba and, and Fournier is a huge upgrade over it's over Bullock and, and Peyton. And that's the biggest thing. Well, yeah, like if they're on their best day, they're unstoppable. And if they're 98% of their best day, then Tibbs is going to be inconsolable. Exactly. On the sidelines. I mean, the dude. Throwing a tantrum. 
he's so like the, the the faces that he's making during a preseason game they're up by like 15 and he and he <laughs> challenges a play with a minute left in the fourth quarter and he's absolutely furious and by the way i i heard something interesting on a broadcast Somebody was saying how NBA refs absolutely adore Tibbs because he argues, he gets in their face, but only when he has something legitimate to argue about. And then after he gets it off his chest, he moves on and it's on to the next thing. And like, that's such a big thing to teach a team. Also, you don't see guys who are getting all up in their head and arguing and, and getting so like, you know, like a bunch of head cases like you see in the NBA, this team is, is so disciplined. I saw a preseason moment where a loose ball was like carrying out towards the sidelines. And then one of the, uh, one of the players um, on the Knicks was kind of uh, reaching for it, but not fully diving for it. And you could audibly hear in the background, going, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is like in preseason. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's, so, it's the best. It's just the best experience. All right. So let's move on to the West because we could talk about the Knicks for days, but we want to do a full NBA preview. This is for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously for us, but it's for the listeners. Um, the, yeah, for the listeners. Yeah, the, the, which is us. But um, the, yeah. the, the number one team in the West, and I guess the presumed number one team in the West, and I'm about to make the same argument I made in the East in the West. Like, the team that's the exact opposite is the Lakers. They're the exact opposite of the Knicks. They're the 2014 All-Stars. They're a bunch of head cases that got together. It's like uh-huh. LeBron at this point in his career is just like, I only want to play with my guys, and I'm just going to make it work because I'm the greatest player ever or second to greatest player ever, and I'm just going to make it work because this is what works. And maybe it's gotten to the point that it doesn't work, but then again, who is going to challenge the Lakers in the West? If you look at this, can the Suns run it back? I mean, people saw that a lot as a team that got hot. And I love, I love all those guys. I love Monty. I love CP3. I love Devin Booker. And all those guys are awesome. Um, and they have Alfred Payton, though. So, like, they can't possibly be good this year if they have Alfred Payton now. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, like, are they really going to run it back for a full season? We know the Blazers and the Jazz are always good in the regular season, but they never seem to be to put it together in the, in the postseason. Um, the Clippers obviously take a step back without Kawhi, right? He's hurt. Uh, the Warriors, Clay is not going to be back for at least another month plus, maybe not till middle of December, end of December. Um, and I guess the only other team, maybe Dallas takes a major step forward, like, but they would need someone else to step up. Like, is Kristaps Porzingis all of a sudden going to become the player that, like, we saw him turning into his first couple of years in New York? And, like, Jason Kidd's their coach. I don't know if I love that situation. Like, shouldn't this be a cakewalk for the Lakers? Like, is there something I'm missing in the West? Of the fact that the basic the Lakers roster, I think the uh, sort of the lines between Space Jam and the NBA have been blurred for LeBron at this point. He has no idea what's going on. He's, he's he does you know. <laughs> I mean, but, Dwayne Wade's going to be but, out of uh, retirement playing on that team within a week. Like how long before Charles Barkley joins the Lakers? Right. Exactly. Uh, I, mean, I think that. Um, I, I think that it's fascinating. You know, I have a tremendous respect for Bron Bron. Uh, he is like, he, he really is the king. And he, I do believe that he has something to prove. I don't think 
he liked, you know, the way last year went down. And, um, you know, with Braun Braun with something to prove, is definitely a force to be reckoned with. We always love Russell. I mean, he's, as a complimentary player especially, I guess. But, no, the West is just, it's it's really hard to handicap. You know, I don't know, I don't know any of the betting lines, but how could you really handicap one team over another? In that, you know, they're all very talented, but none of them really stick out for me. And the Lakers, I guess, would if they were all healthy or if it was 2014, as you say. But like you saw last year, you really can't count on their health. And so it's it's very tough to know. I guess I would go Lakers just because law of averages last year falling apart. I think they'll be extra motivated to put that year behind them. But I'm seeing a lot of fire in the Warriors also. Other than that, are those two different teams? I know that they have different players, but they always seem to be just these 50-win-plus uh, teams. So to make a long story short, go Knicks. I'm much more intrigued in the East, and it's particularly the Knicks. But the West has a lot of nice storylines. You didn't mention Phoenix, did you? I started with Phoenix. I talked about Phoenix. Can they run it back? Because oh, they, yeah. they represented Phoenix. They they represented uh, the West in the finals. Yeah, but a lot of but people thought that if don't... the Lakers were healthy, they wouldn't have even made it past the first round. And then they said the same thing, that if the Clippers were healthy, they wouldn't have made it past the Clippers. Like, people keep giving excuses to why Phoenix that, was I think, winning. I, I think Phoenix was good, but there, again, it is... Are Phoenix for sure clearly better than any of the other teams you mentioned? I don't I don't think so. Right, and that's what I'm they saying. They seem to like, have good coaching, though. That was pretty good. That's what I said. Monty's the best. Um, but, I, right, I, yeah. I, I don't know. And the Lakers, like, there's, there's one thing that could happen that could just, like, you know Westbrook's going to try hard every night and play hard on D and give, you know, 180%. Um, 80 of it's going to be boneheaded. 80, and then the other 100% is just going to be purely physical. Um, but maybe just a pissed off LeBron and a healthy Anthony Davis is all you yeah. need. Like, I think Anthony Davis is the big wild card because he's younger than anyone. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, but he's the youngest guy there. And I think he's realistically at this point in his career, the best player on that team. And maybe just a pissed off LeBron and Anthony Davis is going to be all they need to cakewalk through everything. And that's the same thing for the Nets. Like, if all, like, lines up, like, it, we said this last year at the beginning of last year, it should just be Nets and Lakers in the finals because that's where the talent is. But for the first time in a long time last year, we didn't see it play out that way in the NBA as we usually do. So now there's reasonable doubt. All those teams that I mentioned who are solid teams in the, in the Eastern Conference, the Indiana, Washington, Charlotte, Chicago, Miami, Boston, Philly, Atlanta, New York. Uh, in the West, like I said, the Blazers, the Jazz, Dallas, the Suns, the Warriors, like, maybe one of those teams separates themselves and, 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 you know, and really goes on a run like we saw last year, or it's just the revert back to the norm and the talent trumps all. And we just see the Nets and Lakers in the finals and we're all disappointed. If the Nets and the Lakers met in the finals, I mean, that would be a highly rated finals. Um, and so I don't know if it would be considered a disappointment, but the problem is, those teams are so dominant it's hard when a team is so dominant when they're doing well 
and then just sort of so disinterested when they're not. It doesn't build a lot of uh, fandom, for me at least. It doesn't move my niece, do. I don't know if I mentioned, but I really like the Knicks this year. Yeah. Um, so I'm with you. I think that's our that's our NBA preview. <laughs> that's a wrap on that. But we have uh, Ted Lasso. Um, go Knicks. Let's let's go go New York. Go Knicks. <laughs> yeah. Um, Julius Randle is going to win MVP. R.J. Barrett's going to be Most Improved. Mitchell Robinson is going to be Defensive Player of the Year, and Derrick Rose is going to be Sixth Man of the Year. Um, and they're going to win the finals. And the only question uh, is, which one of their rookies will be the rookie of the year? Right, exactly. I, I, I'm uh, my vote is for uh, Deuce McBuckets because he has an awesome name. Um, <laughs> Although Quentin Grimes seems to be much better. Yeah, Grimes is an actual good NBA player. He shoots threes. He's good. And he plays insane defense. Um, Like, they might want to bring... On their most recent recent preseason game, they were losing by 20. Grimes is like, should we win this? Let me just hit nine three-pointers and just jump on my back, everyone. They're like, okay, Rook. Right, exactly. It was actually pretty crazy. Because that's really what happened. It was him and Derrick Rose were just like, (laughs) why the hell are we losing? Um, let's win. And then they won. And that's the type of thing you see good teams do where I know it's preseason, but they hung around all game. They were down by 12, down 15, down 10, down eight, like back and forth. I kept it within 15. And then when the game got to three minutes, they're like, Oh, let's go win this thing. And that's what we've seen great teams do. And that's kind of like a really fun win. And by the way, if you're just looking at prices for, um, for the Wednesday night game as the gauge for how people felt about that win, (laughs) The prices right. were like the minimum ticket was about 80 bucks to get into the garden for Wednesday night. It jumped to 115 immediately after that game. Like people are extreme. Like, that win was the win that resonated with people. Yeah. Cause they got a taste. They got a taste of what will hopefully be. Let's just hope there's no injuries and everybody does well. And it'll be a magical season. That'd be wonderful. Go Knicks. Yeah. I think what one guy we didn't mention was, um, uh, Jericho, is that his first name? Sims, who just dunks every single time and seems like his head is going to hit the roof of Madison Square Garden every time he jumps. Um, he's literally, I, I don't know, the kid looks like he's 14, but he also looks like Dwight Howard in his prime. Um, and so for that, maybe he'll win rookie of the year. He's definitely going to win the dunk contest. I look, um, yeah, like, I, look for, I look for him to be dunking on Giannis in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I wonder what if I can bet on him winning the dunk contest, even though he's not even like he signed on a two-way contract. He may not play a single minute, but I guarantee you he's winning the dunk contest. Um, all right, let's get to Ted Lasso. Um, what I love about Ted Lasso is probably what you love about Ted Lasso. It's geniusly funny and comedic, but at the same time, it, it touches all the right strings with the emotional side and it, the, the character of that Jason Sudeikis plays, who is Ted Lasso is so perfectly developed in the way that he's just understands everything. And like, he understands the perfect thing to say. Always there's obviously a special father son thing. there, also, you know, deep in that TV show. Um, and, and it's really resonated with the entire country and I guess the whole world. Cause I know that the British people are watching it and even they love it. Although I'm sure, I'm sure they're foobarring all the uh, soccer references, but it's the first TV show that it feels like everyone could agree on. And there's a reason for that. And you wanted to get into that. Um, and so let's do that now. Okay. Well, Ted Lasso um, definitely resonates with me. For those of you who've been hiding under a rock, an American 
football coach from Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Kansas, from Kansas. I don't know it's from Kansas because when they, uh, in the first episode, when they end up and they're looking at London Bridge, one of them says to the other, and I'm talking about the two coaches from Kansas that have come uh, Richmond, the football, or as they call it in uh, America, soccer. Those two have come to coach because Rupert, the jerk who used to own Richmond, has now finally uh, been at a settlement and a divorce because he was unfaithful. His wife, Rebecca, took over the team. Turns out it was in an effort to bring the team down. She brought the biggest clown coach you could find based off of a hilarious dance that he did on ESPN. And that's the premise of Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is that coach. He shows up. He says, we're not in Kansas anymore. And hilarity ensues. But as you pointed out, so many poignant life moments. And just the character development is incredible. Ted Lasso himself is somebody who really resonates with me because he exudes positivity and wisdom. And yet it's coming from a place not without pain, right? There's a lot of anxiety that he has to deal with. Um, and so it's almost in that, uh, uh, in that real life scenario that he finds the strength and the wisdom to try to make him and his life and the life of those around him better. And it resonates with, and obviously part of the premise of the show is that that kind of attitude transcends uh, boundaries and countries and cultures and sports. And that is basically the underlying message of the show is that this guy who they thought was going to be a laughing stock because he is um, such a special human being above all else is connecting to the players even though he himself um, does not know the rule, which is amazing yeah and 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 it's actually the, the the show development is so good that in that final spoiler alert the season finale of season two oh god when when, when you know he's chased when um he's chasing away his his demons by making the penalty kick i forget his name now but um he you know football is life that guy Um, you're talking about danny rojas danny rojas yeah of course sorry Um, danny rojas danny rojas or danny rojas when he's like chasing away his demons and they win the game to move up to like to back into the premier league that's not even like close to the main focus of the episode like that's such an afterthought and the development from the first episode is all about the game to that point where, you know, the end of the second season, 22 episodes in where it's such an afterthought. It's just, you know, the game is something that comes from everything else and is like just a metaphor and, and a almost like a background for everything else. That's the part that, that like the show development and the character development is so perfect. Well, the, the ultimate character, and, and that's amazing that you said that because the real character development in that particular moment was not even Danny Rojas. It was Nate. Tart. The, oh, Jamie. Uh, the, giving it to him. Uh, former was the one that told him to take the... Jamie gave it to him and knew that he was going to hit it, thus displaying a few things which he had heretofore not shown. I'm 
speaking of Jamie Tard, who comes in, you think he's a hot shot, a solid airhead, and over the course of two seasons, you see him trying to become a better person and develop as a human being and start to take on um, and face some of his own issues. And it's incredible to watch. And then to show the kind of sort of awareness, not only of himself, of, but of the situation and recall of the moment that Danny Rojas had previously, it's basically, for those of you who haven't watched at this point, but I'll, I'll basically boil it down for you. You're seeing a real character, character development of a guy that makes you think, you know, what is that guy all along? Like jerks that we know, you know, what led to it? How do you, you know, what are they going through? And can they change the capacity to change? And just the nuances of every, of every episode. Like you don't even have, for example, in the case of, uh, of Ted Lasso, he wants to be, believe in everybody. But spoiler alert again, one of the members of his staff turns, uh, for all intents and purposes, turns on him in the most severe way. And I'm talking, and, of course, about Nate. And what's crazy about Nate turning and on him also. It's a question of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have a great point because you pointed this out to me. Nate is a guy who comes in as basically more or less and then has some strategies and Ted Lasso brings him up and makes him into something. And then Nate turns on him thinking that he worked harder and that he deserved it and that Ted is getting all the accolades. Just an incredible twist of fate. But the sort of amazing part is the show is undoubtedly going to um, show you ultimately how Ted handles it and its nuance. It's not like, you know, people compared it to when Darth Vader formed in Star Wars. It's not that black and white with Ted Lasso. There's all the shades of gray in between are always on display. And that, but that's what makes it really. Especially in Nate's hair. Um, but yeah, it's so oh, what's crazy is. Nice. Nate starts as the guy who's running out of Rebecca's office because he's scared to introduce Ted to Rebecca. Like that's the first episode, you know, and like there's that and the how far Ted brings him along and gives him the confidence to be his own person. And yet Nate all along is still so scared and so scared of himself and doesn't have the confidence. And Ted is so sure that he's given him the confidence, you know, and that he's he's made him, you know, his own person. But but Nate's issue is that he just needs to be shown it constantly by other people because, you know, you show it with his father with his father and his father, you know, not showing him, uh, you know, I guess not respecting him or, or giving him enough attention. Um, and with Ted, his whole thing is that he wants people to do things on their own, kind of like you said, with he got Jamie Tart to the point that he, you know, on his own gave the ball to Danny Rojas, he wants to get people to their point where they can stand on their own. He's not in it for himself. Even when Jamie Tart the first time left the team, he, you know, he was so giving, he was so happy for Jamie. And then, you know, to have a guy who all he needs is just that constant. It's, it's something that's so not for, you know, Ted Lasso doesn't see it that way. And, and Nate just, all he needs is to, to be noticed. And, I have a weird question. <laughs> this has nothing to do with um, anything we've seen in the show so far. But you assume a guy who knows nothing about soccer, 
right? Um, but yes. he, he took a a a uh, Wichita State, a Division two football team, to the national championship, um, yes. and won the national championship with them. You'd think after he's so successful at building a team chemistry, doesn't like the Kansas City Chiefs like call him up and say, or let's in Missouri, but um, doesn't a team call him up that's a little bit closer to home and say? Hey, don't you want to be near your son and coach actual football again? Like, when does that happen? Is that season three? Uh, that's interesting. So we could talk about speculation of what will happen in season three. So I think it is fair to speculate that somebody from the United States will call Ted. Um, I think that's a very high likelihood. Um, by the way, Kaylee ends up with... Jamie Tart. Can we all agree that she leaves Roy Kent for Jamie Tart? She definitely leaves Roy Kent where uh, she goes from there. I don't know, but yes. I think she'll go back to Jamie Tart where she started because what we learned, what we've learned about Kate, she may not be built for the kind of mature relationship that foul mouthed, uh, soft on the inside, tough on the outside, Roy Kent has to offer. He's too high maintenance for her. Yeah, I think. See what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, she's she's not that you know she's developed, but she's not that complex. Um, and we didn't even talk about um, Sam and his character development and how he becomes his own person. That's that's so many things, and it's so funny because everyone's becoming their own person and independent of anyone else. And then Nate goes the exact opposite. He's the zag. You know what I mean? Even Coach Beard is becoming independent of yes. his on-again, off-again bo- uh, girlfriend. I mean, I don't know what all the characters... Like, I, I, is he hallucinating exactly? I mean, but he's a very good dude. And he's brilliant, clearly. He's a uh, professor type. The one thing about the show, and that's really the point, they don't let any character go undeveloped. Like, any typical show or story or book or whatever... It gives you the character, there's an arc, and the right, and, and then you're led to develop an opinion. This show will never let you develop an opinion without showing you the other side and showing and 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 showing you that maybe it's more nuanced than you think. Right, and, and that's it does what's so, so amazing. For almost every major character. And that's what's so amazing with um. Te- you you mentioned that about. Um, you know, the jerk or whatever you want to call him, Jamie Tart. With Ted, it's the exact opposite. He's the guy who you think, you know, everything is all perfect. He shows it to the world like everything's perfect. He always says the perfect thing. He's always happy. But, you know, maybe that person ha- is going through something. So even if you see someone who's happy and doing well, like you have to wonder what they're going through. Anyway, I think we've gone way too long, but um, it's been fun. No, one more thing. Yeah, go the for only it. guy that's been a jerk. The only guy that's been a jerk throughout, for sure, and he better stay that way, is Rupert. Oh, 100%. So I want to see that guy suffer. And 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 his, and right, and, and then his foil, Rebecca, can do no wrong. She, oh, 100%. She and by deserves the way. She, all, anything good that happens to her, and Rupert deserves everything bad that happens to him. So my quick season three prediction, um, okay. you know, Nate goes – and does really well with Rupert's team that Rupert bought. And obviously Ted goes and does really well with the team that he bought. Nate does something stupid and loses that gig. Ted is they're They're prying at him. They're trying to get him to back to the United States to coach real football. And um, what ends up happening is Ted makes sure that Nate takes over the team as he goes back. And that's the 
season finale of the final season of Ted Lasso. I have a different uh, alternate universe season finale. Um, Ted is recruited to to coach the Washington football team. He goes only on condition that they're called the Redskins, so they change their name back to the Redskins. And Richmond and kicks Nate's Patuchas. All right. Well, good good job by you. <laughs> good job by you. <laughs> All right. Good talking to you. Uh, likewise. Uh, congratulations on the guy in the 50th and uh, continued success in all your endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. You guys still there? Thank you so much. Um, anyone who listened this long, I know it was a little choppy at times, but um, thank you for uh, sticking with it. I think it was worth it. I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you to my father for coming on and celebrating 5-0 with me. Big celebration as we uh, got overexcited about the Knicks as usual. What else is new? Um, and really, I just want to say thank you to each and every person who's ever listened to even a minute of this podcast, to any episode, who've liked, subscribed, any of my tweets, videos, who've helped me get to this point. Um, I hope to continue onward and upward with this podcast, with this process. And every single person listening and supporting really helps and makes a difference. So I appreciate each and every one of you. I couldn't have done it without you. And 50, it's a big milestone. And let's keep going. Can't wait.
just a mile to road. Take it in, take it with you when you go.